0: Data breaches at major companies are now so common that they hardly make the news. The Wikipedia page on data breaches lists over 350 between 2004 and 2023. The Equifax breach in 2017 was especially notable because over 160 million records were leaked, and much of the data was acquired by Equifax without individuals' knowledge or consent. Data breaches are increasingly costly to companies and to affected users who must deal with the ensuing identity theft. In 2018, the European Union implemented the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR. Despite its mild name, the GDPR had major consequences for individuals' right to control their data and for companies that operate in the EU. Among other things, it gives the right to have personal data removed from a company's records. This is the so-called right to be forgotten. Gal Ringel is the co-founder and CEO of Mine, which allows users to identify which companies have their data, and it automates the process of removing data on behalf of its users. In this way, Mine aims to reduce online exposure and minimize risk for anyone using online services. Gal joins the show today to talk about his company, the impact of GDPR, and how his experience in military intelligence, venture capital, and tech led him to co-found the company. This episode of Software Engineering Daily is hosted by Jordi Mon Companies. Check the show notes for more information on Jordi's work and where to find him.
1: So today we've got Gal Ringo joining us all the way from Israel. Welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Gal.
2: Thank you, Jordi. Great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure.
1: Where specifically are you joining from? I presume from, from Tel Aviv, right?
2: Tel Aviv, yeah.
1: They say about Israel being a tech nation. but It's absolutely true, like everyone works in software, right? You yourself, your whole career has been connected in some way or the other to software, right?
2: Correct, yeah. So I started my experience, I don't want to say career because I was 10 years old, but I started writing code and hack stuff since I was really young. This is what eventually got me drafted to the Israel intelligence. So you mentioned Israel and the startup nation. I think that one of the most successful and powerful sectors out of the, you know, startup nation from Israel is the cybersecurity space, thanks to different units within the Israeli intelligence. I was fortunate to be serving for one of these these units for six years. So I'm an ex-officer. In Israel, you have to do three years uh, mandatory. So I extended my journey there with uh, three additional years.
1: My understanding that the compulsory draft was in the first, in those three years, are you able to choose what you want to do? Like yourself, you were interested in cybersecurity. Would you be able to tell the Israeli military, Hey, I know this is compulsory. This is mandatory, but I'd like to, because I know my friends from Israel, they were forced, quote unquote, it was chosen for them. So one went to tanks. However you, call, however you call that. I'm very unfamiliar with anything military, but they weren't able to choose what area in the military they would be eventually serving. Was it different for you?
2: So this is in high level correct. Like the army gets your profile in advance when you are uh, in high school. And then according to what you study at school and different things, they give you a few options. In terms of technological roles, it depends on what you studies at high school. So I did five units in computer science, in math, in physics and in robotics. So that combination essentially got me to get a few interviews from, you know, specific units and I passed this, I had like six or seven interviews and I passed that and typically if I remember the numbers, it's like 10,000 kids every year starting this interview process. I was lucky to pass all the exams and interviews that I had there and yeah. And I joined that unit. And I served for uh, six years. Really enjoyed uh, every minute. Met a lot of friends from the cybersecurity space today that are, you know, friends for life. And even it mine, my current startup, we're three co-founders, and one of my co-founder, another gal, we're two girls. <laughs> so we serve together in the, in the same team. So we know each other for this year. It would be twenty years. I think
1: that's a common trend among tech startups. I guess it's common, right? You probably, the same happens in the US that probably there's a tendency and incentive to found a startup early in your career, but also with the friends that we, you've probably coded a project with in the university. So, But I think this trend, this incentive, is more likely to happen in Israel because, at least in my experience, this is anecdotal data. I don't have any particular research or so, but I know three companies and the three of um, top nine, Linear B, if I'm not wrong, and another one that I can't remember, at least a few of the founders of those companies met when they were doing the mandatory military, what you just described, and not necessarily in cybersecurity, but elsewhere. So I guess you bond pretty well. So what about the rest of, from then on, what did you move? Did you move on to something else? Or were you still in cybersecurity, but elsewhere in the private sector?
2: So in, in my case, I didn't found a startup right after I you know, got released from the army. I started mine when I was 32, a little bit late comparing to other founders from Israel. So what I did afterwards, I kept engineering in a few different places. And then after 12 years of hands-on engineering, I was always intrigued by the business side. But I'm a geek writing code, this is my DNA, and I didn't know how to change my career to the business side. My first degree is you know, also related to computer science, and uh, I wanted to move to the business side. So my practical MBA, if you would want, was to join the venture capital community. So I worked, that was my pivot, basically. I worked for four and a half years for two corporate VCs. The first one was Nielsen, the market research company which invented the TV rating. This is how most of the people know them. So for them, I did early stage investments in Israel, typically first money into the company. So seed and pre-seed even. And this is the first time that through these investments, I got to learn how to do product and finance and hiring and fundraising and marketing. But from the point of view of the investor, which is, Completely different from, you know, being at uh, the founder driver seat. But it opened my head. I could really learn a lot in a very short period of time. And after two years, I moved to Verizon, the telco, the US telco. So I joined uh, Verizon Ventures. And there I led all kinds of different uh, cybersecurity investments, but a little bit later stage. So I would say series A, B, and C. So I had the chance of seeing also, you know, bigger companies. So to sum up this short investor career four and a half years, I had the chance of investing in twenty two companies, in drones, AI, hardware, cybersecurity, tech, marketing, very diverse, you know, background, and I learned so much, and I had, I, I was fortunate to work with all kinds of different teams, and you know, escort them or walk with them along different stages of the company.
1: I don't know about Nielsen's corporate VC arm and Verizon's, I'm sure they are great, but in general, like the pivot that you chose in your career, in order for you to learn the skills that would enable you to then become an entrepreneur or a product person, right, instead of just an engineer, I think that choice was fantastic, because as you say, I mean, it's different. You do have some skin in the game, right, depending, I guess, on your compensation, but you do put money, you know, you put your money where your mouth is, Uh, you're not in the company right you're in the board or sometimes in the board but yes i mean it gives you such a broad experience with so many founders and c-level executives all of the different verticals that you just mentioned so act tech cyber security drones etc so i mean there's no better way to learn that landscape and then you can get a gist of management business product marketing all the things that entrepreneurs do so i guess so did you found the company right after that experience or did you still have a stint of engineering or product maybe?
2: No, so right after that. So my main goal of doing this four and a half years transition was to learn as many sets as I can, which is not, you know, coding or engineering. And Excel. once I, exactly, Excel, <laughs> finance, you know, how to work with different teams, how to hire people how to do sales, you know, I had to, when when I was doing investments for Verizon, I had to find different champions within different business units and sell them, sell them the startup, right? And it's not an easy thing to do. You know, you, I bring an early stage startup to a big conglomerate like, you know, Verizon, and I need to convince one VP that, you know, that startup can do the work that he got budget to do better than what he can do it. (laughs) And it's not an easy thing to do. So lots of soft skills there that you don't learn easily. Soft skills, politics. Yeah, definitely. Hmm.
1: So how did you get the idea? I guess, did you come up with the idea? Did a co-founder? So how did that came about? And tell us about the company.
2: So as I mentioned earlier, we're three co-founders. The other Gal and I, since we served together, we always had the dream to fund the company someday, right? But life took each one of us for different paths, right? So, so he kept engineering in uh, one startup that got acquired and then five years with Microsoft. And one day I told him that, listen, let's quit our jobs and start uh, working on uh, something exciting and Kobe which is our third co-founder who leads the product so i knew him from the venture capital experience so he worked for a different fund we met in a conference we became friends we tried to do deals together unfortunately failed but we <laughs> we started the company which is which is even better and when the three of us started to sit together we actually started to do a quick ideation process. So a lot of the things that Kobe and I learned in, you know, the venture capital on how to do market research, how to look at different, you know, markets, how to assess a business, how to assess an opportunity. So we started doing a quick ideation process, which we knew that it has to be around data because the three of us on different, you know, junctions within our career, we we dealt with personal data and all kinds of different, you know, angles and purposes, and we knew that we wanted to be in the intersection between security and privacy. Why? One, because we have a lot of experience from the security space, right? But also privacy was something that was very close to our hearts. Each one of us connected to that angle, like to the privacy space from a different angle. Personally, I got my identity stolen, which is uh, horrible, really. Oh, wow. Tell us about that. What happened? It was actually pretty stupid. Like this is what happened to most of the people on, in the internet. And by the way, part of our original vision was to exactly reduce prevent this, this, prevent okay. this. Yeah. Reduces the chance that your data can be used against you. But in short, what happened to me is, so every day we use the internet, right? Personally, I love the internet. I think the internet yeah, is yeah. a great, uh, it's a great place, but we have to click. I agree all the time, right? Anytime that we want to sign up, to purchase something, to book, tickets, whatever. We have to give our personal data. This is how the internet works. But most of the internet interactions that we're doing, like 85%, according to our research is due to a one time off interaction, meaning you signed up to a site or you booked a flight ticket with a low cost airline, or you, you booked an hotel or you did something which was a one time off interaction meaning didn't do any any business with that company afterwards and what happened to me is that i booked uh, i booked an hotel in my honeymoon 7 years ago in in south america and that hotel got breached part of that data breach my personal data got stolen among you know millions of other customers and suddenly after it it happened after I think it was five years and suddenly I saw a new credit card issued on my name. And this happened. Like if you start asking around, you would see that so many people, you know, are affected from whether it's identity theft, reputation damage, financial loss, manipulation, all kinds of different, you know, digital threats and it's beyond their control, right? Because we, Trust companies, we put our data there and sadly, this is the reality. It's not the fault of the companies, but sadly, companies get breached, privacy leaks are happening and then we are paying the price as individuals because our data there and then it gets stolen. So the whole vision of mine and why we connected to the privacy space is one, how can we find our data online, right? It's almost impossible because it's so fast, it's so dynamic. It's all over the place. It's all over the place, right? So how can we find the data? And second, how can we learn whether we are still using a service, whether I get value from the company for the fact that I gave them my data, whether I have an ongoing relationship. And then, you know, the kicker for the company was the GDPR. So we started researching the GDPR in 2018, like literally end of the year, like a few months after it got legislated and went live officially, we started researching around this amazing law and we saw that it's actually going to change the internet because it's going to put on the one hand accountability and a responsibility on companies. You know, anytime that the company wants to collect data, to process data, now they need to justify it. They need to have a good reason. But on the other side individuals are now granted with, you know, powerful rights. For example, you can activate your right to be forgotten. You can go to almost any company and ask for a copy of your data. So you can start interacting or, you know, control your data. But we knew that it would be so uneasy for the average person, right? Impossible. Impossible, right? I even asked lawyers that read these privacy laws and even them We're not able to, you know, exercise these rights in an easy way. So we wanted to make it accessible for people. So before we move on,
1: because this is fascinating. First of all, I hope you solved the identity theft issue and that maybe you even caught the person, but hopefully you were able to cancel that credit card and hopefully get rid of that. That first. Second, I am a huge advocate of privacy and a defender of GDPR in particular. And I'm happy that it has enabled a market that allows companies like yours to actually exist and hopefully thrive. But it is true that it would have been a bit great if the rights that it has granted the citizens to take control of their data and so forth would have been maybe a bit more enabled. Or maybe it's me that I don't know about products like yours, right? So maybe maybe it's just a, a market right now, the market of take control of your data that is very new. And that citizens still don't know a about their rights, and b that there are companies enabling them to take, you know, fulfill those rights. So I'm really, really happy that that a company like yours exists. So exactly, how much data is there out there, and how does one or your product actually is able to collect it? Like, is is
2: it possible? Yeah, good question. By the way, the complete vision that we had for the company is also to help the companies because you know being compliant with these privacy regulations and you know handle all the requirements is very challenging but we will get there so but but we started as a purely consumer offering and in terms of your question so after having more than 4.5 million users this is what we have today we learned that the average digital footprint which is the the total number of companies that holds the personal and sensitive data of, of the average user worldwide 350. Personally, I had 826. <laughs> yeah, but just to put it in a perspective, anytime that you travel, you on average you add 6 new companies that now have your data because you need to purchase a flight ticket, to book an hotel, maybe to rent a car, maybe to yeah. go to a concert, restaurant tables, shopping, right? So 7 services easily. And I'm not counting, you know, shopping holidays like, you know, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, when you change jobs. So there are a lot of specific, you know, personal events that are happening in your life that suddenly you spread your data even more than, you know, the the average day to day. That's fascinating. I mean, I wasn't expecting those figures to be so high. On the other
1: hand, I do understand companies, right? One company like yours but any company believes in their vision right they want to make money from providing a service or product and they want to be relevant right they usually have an expertise in something and they would like to communicate such expertise to those that don't know about the company so in a way they do need data so and also like targeted advertising requires a lot of data to be precisely to be relevant so i guess Data brokers are collecting a lot of data because you're talking about companies that are one-off interactions like the the car hire company that I just, you know, on my holidays and will never see again in my life. They've got one data point or one interaction with me with enough personal information. But what about those data brokers that actually collect those data points from everywhere and profilers? As I told you before, I'm quite adamant about protecting my privacy, but I don't know how to balance that with the perspective of a marketer that only wants data to profile correctly users and then target them with only relevant information. I think that is also a valid claim. And I don't know how to balance this view of data hoarding and profiling and targeted advertising. Anyway, my question is, I guess, what about data brokers? What's their business yeah. model? How much data do they collect and how do they profile?
2: So it's a very good question. When we thought about what types of data we're going to find in terms of, you know, the users that we want to bring, like I thought about myself, we drew a very clear line. We are dealing with the discovery of personal data. We call it first party data, meaning this is data that you willingly, willingly gave to these companies. When you clicked, I agree, when you signed up, when you, you did the action that provided the company, the data, right? When you think about data, brokers, cookies, all of these, typically this is data that is either collected passively. So without your knowledge or data that was, you know, sold or leaked out, you know, in let's call it bad actors way. Right. We decided that we are drawing a clear line. We're not dealing with that types of data for now. The reason is why would you use our consumer offering, like how it will help you. So not only to discover your data, to learn about where it is, the risk and everything, but to be able to control it. And every time that you see that there is a service or a company that has your data, but you don't use it anymore, you can ask the company to remove your data, to delete it. So essentially we, we created a journey where we help you, reduce your online exposure from all the unnecessary places. And by doing that, as we said earlier, we allow you to reduce the chance that when these companies would get breached or anything bad would happen, and it will because this is life, we cannot really prevent it. You would reduce the chance that your data would be there and uh, used against you. So what I'm trying to say is that we wanted to focus on preventing security incidents. Not that I'm, when you think about data brokers, Typically, it's about, you know, advertisement and things like that. It's less, not that I think it's not concerning, but if you think about real digital threats that can hurt you, whether it's, you know, personally or financially, it's more, you know, the sensitive data. So we deal with, you you know, your physical address, your date of birth, your, you know, social security Yeah, data brokers,
1: probably to profile one, use behavioral data and my interest. And that is... I guess less risky. I do. I do agree with you. So I, I think data breaches, like you say, an everyday life thing. I mean, hopefully they go down. But it turns out that software is really, really difficult, if not impossible, to secure completely. It's just really difficult. It's inherent to software, right? While it's kind of easy, although costly, to secure gold, for example, you know, and you know, vault under uh, six foot of metal, wherever. Turns out that private information is much more difficult to secure even for someone like me, like uses two-factor authentication. And and I get breaches all the time. I've got, you know, my own way of finding out. If spam just skyrockets, I know that my email has been just shared in some occult, uh, dark website, and then eventually I'll get the notification of the breach. But anyway, so I'd like to talk about a type of data protection system that I think Tim Berners-Lee promoted. He's got a startup about it, but later. Before we move on to that, which is called Inrupt, or solid. The protocol is solid, I think. How does companies... So data brokers might be a bit dodgy about how they collect this data. You mentioned it. All respect to that business, but hey, uh, maybe a gray zone. But what about businesses that want to be compliant with GDPR? I've worked with so many that want to be incredibly, not only compliant, but like proficient at being able to allow their users to delete their data. Because again, they want to be relevant. And that means having the data and having the intent from the user to be communicated at too right and not communicate with someone that just doesn't want to know anything about you many companies find it impossible to manage data because it is quite difficult i wish actually gdpi was a bit more expressive about that but hey how does you guys have an offering in that sense right
2: yeah correct so this is exactly our second like the other half of our vision so As I mentioned earlier, when we started, we we wanted to focus on privacy and privacy regulations and, you know, to leverage the fact that there is now a new internet bulls, if you would want, right, a new sheriff in town. The other side is that we knew that when we looked and read through the law, specifically the GDPR, we immediately understood that companies would, you know, find it very challenging to be not only compliant, I think it's very hard to say that you are fully compliant to GDPR because there are so many, you know, as much as I like GDPR, I think, you know, it has to be revised and, you know, fixed from from the company point of view. It has to fix a lot of, you know, holes that are left open, but in general, like we identify that companies are going to be struggled with that. So the second half of our vision is like to bridge the gap between individuals and companies around privacy regulations now the way we did it we interviewed dozens of legal teams that are you know tasked with making sure that they know what data the company process why they process that what types of data they collect and it's very hard that process or that exercise which most of them are doing manually by the way which is insane is called data mapping and data mapping is basically the process of this is the core for Every privacy program, like you cannot handle a privacy request, you cannot complete your ROPA report, you cannot do anything without understanding what systems you have within your company. A system can be any asset that lives within your cloud environment or any SaaS application like, you know, your CRM, your email marketing, whatever that you are using. So this is step number one. Let's, you know, map all the systems. And step number two, which is even harder, called data classification, which is, To say, okay, I want to classify the data that I keep in my Salesforce or in my database or whatever and to scan the data. So there we have machine learning and natural language processing algorithms that can scan the data and give you a report of all the types of the data that you keep there. So credit cards and financial information in general and health information and, and how many so when we help companies, you know, with privacy regulations today, it's, it's beyond GDPR, right? You have all the state's laws in the US and Canada, Australia, it's everywhere. So one of the key modules that we're selling to them is the automation of the data mapping process. So we took a no-code approach, meaning you don't need any engineering involved in the process. And without installing any agent, we can help you discover all the systems that you are using and then scan the data and classify it and give you a report or a clear understanding of what you're dealing with. And this is priceless. Like our customers today say that they think about us like as another team member. By the way, the product called MineOS.
1: Oh, yeah, we didn't say so, yeah?
2: Yeah, yeah, mine OS. And again, the one-liner is that we are automating all the daily privacy activities that are related to building, maintaining, and making sure that the privacy program stays intact. The fact that 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 is being managed manually, the mapping, when you were
1: talking about it just a minute ago, I was imagining like an explorer, a Phoenician explorer in the Mediterranean, sort of like literally going with this ship, through the coast of Libya or whatever, mapping manually the coast and the capes and all that because it's just <laughs> insane. And then
2: classifying in that, that metaphor, that example. You would not be surprised to learn that still 2023, almost, you know, we're half, half through there, more than half. Many companies, even the biggest one you probably know, are doing that manually in a spreadsheet. They have like a master spreadsheet. Someone within the company is tasked to be the it's called data inventory so to be the owner of that you know spreadsheet and once a year if the company lucky they can do it twice a year that person goes and you know email different people within the company and literally ask them hey dear vp engineering dear vp sales dear whatever please let me know what systems are you using and what data you keep there now let me share one interesting story anytime that we scan a CRM, whether it's Salesforce or HubSpot, we typically find that sales rep, sales rep keep financial information in the meeting notes related to their customers or their, their prospects. And in some cases, we even found passwords that are being saved as meeting notes. Now, this is free text. No one can really enforce it. Anyone can, you know, open his you know Salesforce account and write and enter, insert any types of data. So doing that manually and asking people what types of data they think exist there is inaccurate because they cannot know, right? So you have to have a piece of technology that can do it for you in an automated way. It doesn't make any sense to do it manually.
1: I agree and I'm grateful that such thing exists. And I'm also with you in the sense that being myself a GDPR supporter and mostly a defender, I think it should be a bit more realistic for companies. It's ambitious, it's positive especially for users, for for end users, for citizens, if you wish. But for companies, it's been a bit too broad. And although the aim is positive, I think it should be slightly amended. In any case, okay, obviously the tools that you described, mapping, then data classifying, would eventually enable businesses to provide users with the tools for them to fulfill those rights that we mentioned at the beginning, whether it's forget me, delete my data, exactly, right?
2: Correct. Yeah, you said it correct. And I think a big shift that happened in the last two years, you know, GDPR is more than five years with us, but I think something happened in the last two years is that when GDPR emerged, many companies wanted to tick the box, right? Right to do the bare minimum or even a little bit more, but they wanted to tick the box. They were afraid of that, they wanted to tick the box. Now, I think that over the last two years, that burden replaced with understanding that honoring privacy regulations and making these accessible in an easy way to their customers would not only gain trust points and loyalty, that would even, if a customer want to delete the data and the company can process that like immediately, that customer would come back to do business again with the company. So they understood that it's a brand necessity to honor privacy regulations and to make it easy. I think that another differentiation that we took when we built our product is not just the no code, it's also the fully automated approach, meaning... We identified all the hard areas where a computer can really, you know, automate and do the work for you and then keep the 20, 30% that you have to have a human in the loop. So we're not replacing lawyers. This is why our customers really like to think about us as another team member. So we help them, you know, automate all the daily repetitive manual work and to get it very accurate. And then they can take that data and not only process, you know, privacy rights, but also to prepare all kinds of different requirements like ROPA, which is record of forcing activity, article 30 under GDPR, to run DPIAs, to assess data transfer, to visualize data flows. There are still a lot of use cases within privacy regulations that, you know, no AI can really do. So you have to have a human in the loop that understands the context and can inject what is really missing.
1: So there's still a lot of work to be done, like you just mentioned. Most of this has been done manually in a very cumbersome way, just to check the box. And there's probably a few extremely proficient companies, especially those that want to be compliant with GDPR, because not everyone needs to, right? If they don't operate with European citizens, they don't. But if you want to be a global business, then you need to. But let's talk a bit about, so there's a lot of work to be done there and I can only see a bright future for a company like yours. Because in general, companies want to be good with their clients and again, stay relevant and so forth. But let's talk about a bit about the future because again, I'm not an expert in privacy, but I do look at this and I was, two companies caught my attention. One is, I think the company is called Enrupt, the startup. It was founded by Team Berners-Lee, the creator of the World Wide Web. And I think the protocol that it's based on is solid. And there's another company that it's called the At Company, the At Sign Company, like at in an email address, right? Yeah. And I believe that both of them work there's probably more companies, by the way. I, I just like what I understood was the underlying idea. And I think what I'm about to express now, describe is more, probably describes better the solid than the At Sign approach. But in any case, I think they're pretty similar, which basically says that, In the future, citizens, user, internet users will be able to have a pod, meaning a safe place in which to keep all the information. And then instead of going to the hotel, like you said before, instead of going to the car hire company, to the car rental company, to the whatever service you want to contract, you want to transact with instead of giving them your data right in the way that you described like accepting the terms of service providing the data and having them store it and keeping it and putting the burden on their side you would be telling them hey this is my pod. i allow you access for this transaction so it's like an api in a way right that keeps all the information in one place and allows businesses to connect and i presume That in that permission that you're giving to businesses, all the levels of access are granted. So allow this car rental company to access my driving license ID, my age, and I presume something else, right? And not my address and something different. I think this is the way both companies work. And this is very futuristic. I wonder what your thoughts on that approach is. I mean, you are probably much more aware of those. So what is their adoption? Is anyone using this? Is this realistic at all? No.
2: So when we started, we obviously looked at the competitive landscape, right? To understand, you know, what players are there, what other different technology solutions are there that try to solve the problem. I think that the two companies that you mentioned, I'm not going to get into the technology architecture and, you know, the things there, although it's very interesting, like one of them is a blockchain and one of them is even like a specific token that you can use. I think that, Let's talk about the main concept in general. So I think that the problem, it's a security even problem, right? The problem of data breaches and the reason why they happen is that companies are keeping data in one central place, right? So it can be a few, but, you know, the sensitive data, usually it's in one central place. So for hackers to, you know, when they hack a company, they typically search for these, you know, central places, right? Because this is what they they are looking to find. And I think that what in Rapt and Solid and all, you know, all of these companies are trying to do and blockchain in general is to break that, you know, centralized way, right? Everyone keeps his own thing. Everyone can speak with each other. And if one get hacked, only that person like gets affected. So in theory, that approach is brilliant, right? Because you keep your own data, you can control who has access to that. You keep it, Right. And people need to get you know your permission. The problem with that is the adoption, as you asked earlier. So in my perspective, I think that five, even ten years from now, maybe this is the way to solve it. If you think about it uh, theoretically, But the big problem is that you need to for Tango, right? So even if individual us want to play a part in that amazing vision, you need the companies, right? Now to implement that technology. Now, why would they do it? What incentive the companies you know have to implement that technology? It's a waste of time. It's a waste of money for them. So they need some incentive in order to you know spend time and money on implementing these technologies. And think about it; it changes the entire tech infrastructure. And I think you mentioned it at the beginning of the call that. You mentioned that companies are collecting data because they want to do money out of it. It's a business intelligence and you're right. So it's like asking them to, and you know, data is king, data is the new oil, you know, you have all of these phrases, but you are basically asking companies to give away something that is very critical for them. Like, you know, companies that are using data, let's call it, you know, in a good way.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, by the way, the majority, I think, of the companies. It's just yeah. a few rotten apples that actually... Correct. I'm gradually changing my mind. So just for the record, I'm not a WhatsApp user, right? I have nothing against Meta or Facebook, right? Or Meta, rather, right? It's just that I don't want to give away all my intentions, right? All, my, all the things that I like and so forth. Because I think Meta is that is a company that says, I will allow you to interact with anyone in Facebook, with anyone in Instagram, With anyone in WhatsApp, which this one is the one that is for me critical and I'll explain in a minute why, as long as you give me that information, which will allow me to offer you adverts that are incredibly targeted because I know that you like weightlifting and not CrossFit, for example. and I know you like painting with oil and not with watercolors, right? And that difference for you is keys. I offer you... so. I'm gradually changing my mind towards the companies that are really gathering data, you know, to make the sense of their business, to stay relevant. But I'm not sure. I think I've been damaged by several companies that were, did not behave in
2: such a way, I guess. So let me tell you how I think about it. When I provide my data to different companies, and I do it all the time, I'm okay with that. I always think what I get in return. And the thing that I get in return is the service. It's what I'm, you know, i giving my data and I get something. There is a data transaction, right? We call it cost versus value, right? So let's take a few examples. Even let me, you know, connect even an AI example that, you know, everyone yeah. is freaked about yeah. AI. And so do you have an iPhone? I do. Yeah. How do you open your iPhone? With my face. Face recognition, right? right? So AI, right? Built in here. Correct. Yeah. They scan yeah. your face, they keep it. And I'm not getting into, you know, security practices and how they do it, but you allow them to scan your face to learn it for all kinds of different angles. And you're okay with it. You don't think that Apple would get breached and, you know, your different faces would get stolen. But why? Because that's really help you. You know, you place your phone like this, you open it, it provide you with a value. And every time that the value is greater than the cost, meaning the data that you are giving in your perspective. And it's something that is very individual. So anytime that in your point of view, the, the value is greater than the cost, you have no problem. I can give you another example. I'm using Spotify. I'm using Netflix. I'm giving them my entire, you know, watching and listening history because they provide me with great recommendations. So why not? Mileage account, for example, is with United or whatever, Delta, right? And you can keep your passport information and visa inside. So when you need to do check-in, it would be one-click check-in instead of, so why would you do that? You place your most sensitive information. Now, United or Delta can get hacked like any other company, right? It doesn't mean if they have a lot of money that you know they have good security in place. I don't know. But even the history shows that all the big companies get breached. Correct. But you are willing to give them the data. So what I'm trying to say is that what we're doing with our consumer offering is to show you a picture of your digital footprint. So you can learn... I'm using this, I'm using that. This is what they keep about me. Blah, make blah, your blah, own blah.
1: decisions.
2: Yeah, it's about managing your risks. We are not forcing you to delete your data and go to a dark shelter and, you know, like to go back to the cave, right? Essentially, we put you in the driver's seat and you can, you know, make your own decision. It's about managing the risks.
1: I think you're very right. And I think I'll still stay away from WhatsApp, although I use messaging services once that I consider that are not reading what I, because I I honestly don't think that WhatsApp is a profitable business like any other, just by, and this is not a question for you, I don't want to put you in, in an awkward spot, but I don't think that WhatsApp is a profitable business in the way that actually Meta handles businesses, just by gathering revenue from WhatsApp business, the branch, right? Which I guess it's allowing businesses to have a WhatsApp channel to connect with their clients. I do think that it does, in a way, read text just in the same way that Google does with Gmail, right? Not to understand specifically what I'm writing, but to understand intent, right? With natural language understanding algorithms. And I guess I put more value to connect with your idea to that to, than the, my face. I, I think that the risk of having my face, a digital representation of a mathematical one, is stored locally in my phone, that can be breached. And then my identity might be, you know, my face would be used for other purposes, negative ones. But I do put more value, I guess, in my ideas, right? Which is what I share in WhatsApp. And I don't have many weird ideas. I'm not, I'm just a dabbled citizen. But anyway, I think that you're absolutely right. In general, like, regardless of WhatsApp or my face or iPhone support, what I do like about GDPR is that that sense of Enabling the citizen to know, yeah, you've got your information here, there, there. You have the right to know that. And you you know what? You have the right to literally remove it and so forth. So making it actionable like you guys do is brilliant. I mean, I, th- I think it's the vision of GDPR too.
2: And by the way, what you mentioned about WhatsApp, this is a conscience decision that you're taking because you're more tech savvy, let's say, and you are, you know, asking questions on how the data is being stored, whether it's locally or cloud. But you're going back to my original thoughts which is to manage your risks so in your point of view whatsapp is not secured enough so you can use telegram or you can use signal it's fine today privacy is so mainstream in terms of you know how people think about privacy and on the other end there are so many options if you want to go more privacy focused but i would share something interesting and i don't know if that would surprise you but so we don't keep data. We built our entire consumer product with oh. privacy by design approach. And most of the processing that we're doing is done in memory and we only keep metadata. Now oh. we do keep metadata, which is anonymized and aggregated. So we cannot trace back to a specific user and things like that. And one of the things that we learned is that we looked on you know 4.5 million users and what types of services they want to delete. And I don't know if that would surprise you or not, but Facebook and Google are not in the top 50 even. And do you know why, by the way? No, no, I don't know why. Do you use Gmail? What email provider are you using? I
1: use Mail. I do Proton have a, a Gmail account, account
2: because it. it's
1: required for logins and stuff like that, but I'm a Got user it. of Mail.
2: Got it. So yeah, you took it one step further, I get it. But many people use Gmail because it's a convenient, oh, yeah, of course. It's a convenient yeah. service.
1: And it's fantastic. Don't get me wrong. I think it's the best email service out there.
2: You know, and same with WhatsApp. So maybe WhatsApp is not the best service, but all of their friends are there. So they can open Signal, right? But with who are they going to talk? So it's about convenience. They get value. So it's about cost versus value. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: What is it, by the way, from that survey that you did? What are the main services? Maybe don't name the
2: brands, but what are the main things that people want to get their data out of? So e-commerce is one of the more popular areas because many people are shopping in online websites, online e-commerce websites that, you know, it's it's a one-time off. They, they saw yeah. a good price, they bought something and that's it. And travel is also something that is very one-off again. A lot of the one-offs, I would say, media as well. So if you moved from, I don't know, Netflix to Disney or whatever, yeah, this in general, but... Looking at the watch, I think that I do want to end with the fact that although privacy regulations are, you know, really amazing and change the internet, there is still a lot to be done. The privacy space is very immature, right? It's only five to six years, depends how you, how you choose. And I think that after working with so many legal teams, you know, switching to the business side for a minute, but it's so hard to make sure that the company is you know meeting with different privacy regulations, and every month there is a new privacy regulation somewhere, and you know <laughs> yeah. how to deal with all the privacy regulations. And I think that what we are trying to do with Minos is to simplify privacy. So we okay. are trying to come up with one rule that you know would catch most of the privacy regulations, and we're trying to simplify the work of different legal teams and to you know ease their day to day and help them you know do their job faster and more accurate. And by doing that, this is what we discussed earlier, you know, it helps everyone in the industry because they can then, you know, provide, you know, privacy regulations, privacy rights in an easy way. They can keep their data safe. They can do all kinds of different things. So I'm excited about all the opportunities that, you know, privacy is about uh, to give us, you know, in the coming years because it's only now starting, which is so exciting.
1: Yeah, I agree. So MineOS is the business offering. What about the B2C? So if you're an individual citizen that is concerned about how many services host their data and you want to get rid of it or just know, what's that business
2: line called? So the two businesses are called, the B2B called MineOS. If someone wants to reach out to us, he can go or she can go to mineos.ai. And our consumer business called saymine.com. Okay. Well, Gal, that
1: was fantastic. It was a brilliant conversation. As you say, it's fascinating. We'll always, it will only change in the future, everything like regulation, like hopefully to standardize across the world. But right now it's quite fragmented and quite complicated to take care of, whether you're a business or so. So yeah, I actually, I'm going to explore the individual offering for myself to know what's going on there. And I really want to thank you for being with us today
2: on the show. Thank you so much, Gal. Of course, I really enjoyed it. And uh, at the end of the day, it's our data and it's our decision how much we want to be involved or not. And we can do it. It's very easy. So keep your data safe. And yeah, there are also more, you know, regulations are coming. cybersecurity regulations, AI regulations. Mine is trying to be in the front center of Making sure that everyone around the world, you know, both sides, companies and individuals can always interact around these new regulations, whether they're privacy, AI, cybersecurity, it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Carl. Take care.
2: Thank you very much. Bye bye.